This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 141, about Jessica Jones, season 2, episode 4, aka God Help the Hobo. Welcome back, fellow Defenders. This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 141. We're talking about Jessica Jones, season 2, episode 4, aka God Help the Hobo. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hi, I am one of your other hosts, John. And rounding out the group, I am the titular Mr. Jones of the group. <laughs> oh, you remembered this time. Yeah. You missed it out in episode three because you were because you were hosting. But it's all right. We got it. We got it out at the end. Yes. I brought. I brought back the titular. I brought <laughs> back. It's like bringing sexy back by Justin Timberlake. But I'm bringing titular back. I like it. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> well, good to have you with us, uh, fellow defenders, for episode four of Jessica Jones. Yeah, really looking forward to talking about uh, about this show. It's really good to be back doing lots of episodes about this show, and it's great to hear some of the feedback we've had uh, over on our Facebook group and over on Twitter about uh, this show. People seem to be really enjoying it so far. So, uh, if you want to get in contact with us, everything and all of our contacts and connections are over on our website at DefendersTVPodcast.com. Should know that by now. We've done 141 episodes at this stage, telling you all about that. In case you missed it back in episode three, we do have a special offer for all of our listeners, all of our fellow Defenders, uh, where you can listen to the exclusive first ever Marvel scripted podcast, Wolverine The Long Night, a 10-episode series over on Stitcher Premium. Uh, Just go to stitcher.com slash premium, enter the code DEFENDERS, and you get a free month on us. Well, actually on Stitcher, to be honest. We're not paying for it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but very nice of, uh, of Stitcher to extend that to, to us and all of our audience. So the first two episodes came out on March 12th, um, which is earlier on this week as you're listening to this podcast. Uh, and that offer will be available until the end of September 2018, in case you're listening a little bit later uh, to these podcasts. Hope you're enjoying it. Yeah, I'm really loving it at the moment. Um, can't wait for the next episode. Excellent. Yeah, absolutely. Really, uh, really enjoying it. As with the previous podcast, we're going to be talking about our feedback up front before we get into our discussion about episode four of Jessica Jones. Uh, first piece of feedback comes in from Robert Phillips. Yeah. Uh, Robert Phillips goes, well then, fellow defenders, there is a lesson in the lack of joy to be gained from drunken, miserable sex with a superpowered person. It's not fun and it shouldn't be done. Actually, given no precautions appeared to be in place, do you think he could have caught a superbug STI? <laughs> <laughs> this was uh, a, this is obviously toilet sex with yes, Jessica Jones. Yeah. Absolutely, he really could have. Maybe he will now have superpowers um, or something along <laughs> those lines. Um, yes, the theme continued through Jerry trying to solve her pain with snorting excessive doses of an effective analgesiac and a bevy of assistance. And even Malcolm seemed to have some cuddly fun. Yes, Malcolm is cuddling quite a lot, Mm -hmm. but he is a former addict, so he needs to keep busy. That's true. Yes. (laughs) Um, Max Weinstein, Maximilian Tatum, though, another thread of domination and control Echoes of the stories we finally heard after years of being silenced and again were Jessica Jones doesn't avoid topics that are hard and painful. I was pleased that the superintendent has continued to be obscure and I'm hoping he'll turn out to be a goodie in the end. And the Brit has to be a baddie. They always are. What's really impressive though is that the door has survived two episodes intact so far. <laughs> Absolutely. That door is surviving. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I suspect there might be 
some kind of door smashy thing going on. It's but, yeah, it must happen. Mm-hmm. And I do think that Malcolm's good work on the apartment is going to be ruined by some really angry, ragey, superpowered baddie or potentially goody. <laughs> maybe, maybe. I do love the fact that Spider-Man gains his powers through a bite of a spider. And this toilet man could literally get, he could soon be STI man. Oh no. He could, yeah. He could, yeah. He's not the superhero you want. He's the superhero you need. Oh dear. Yeah. Or he, <laughs> yeah. He's the superhero, uh, you no one wants. <laughs> it's the superhero you catch. <laughs> <laughs> And Robert also says, I do enjoy these podcasts. Far better experience than just watching the show. The revelation for me about timing of the writing, filming, and Weinstein's hashtag me too was really powerful. The team wanted this story out. They weren't riding on a fashion. Extra kudos. Yeah, after we'd finished recording our podcast about episode one, I just checked up when the filming of the show completed. Uh, this was completely done on the 15th of September. Um last year 2017 so way before any of these big revelations came out uh so yeah this is definitely the story they wanted to tell regardless of it being in the press or ripped from the headlines or anything like that this is definitely one thing that they wanted to get across within the show so um so yeah very interesting yeah really good chris do you want to take the other piece of feedback that we have yes jamie young went over to our facebook group and said i'm Glad you guys discussed Hogarth's character progression because I was also surprised to see how ice-cold nasty she still seems, even though she was, if not warm and fuzzy, at least closer to room temperature in (laughs) Iron Fist and the Defenders. I like John's suggestion that maybe we were misreading her friendliness towards them. This makes a lot more sense to me. Of course, she's going to be more accommodating to a wealthy client, even if he is a little weird. It just adds an extra layer of delight, delightful heartlessness to this character. <laughs> yes, Jamie. I'm, the more that we are seeing Jerry throughout these episodes, I, I, I don't know. I'm getting this kind of dual Mr. Hyde and Dr. Jekyll mm-hmm. kind of vibe where we're seeing this broken emotional character, but we're also seeing this heartless SOB. And that's like really there. That is the strong, tough lawyer that cares about nothing. I think so. Yeah, um, it, it we're seeing character progression, but for the the for the better is the question. Right, right. Oh, I, yeah, I think her default position tends to be a bit of a bitch. That's kind of where her where she sits as default, as evidenced by the moment with Foggy in the last episode, where she just calls out, "I'm not your friend. I'm I'm your boss." Rain back in, you know, it's that's kind of where she is, which is why giving her a storyline like this is a really good idea. Because generally, if you gave this story to Trish, the storyline that she's that she's got a, a harrowing disease that's going to eventually kill her in a really horrible way, if you gave that to Trish, you would just feel total sympathy for her. Whereas with Hogarth, it's a much more uh, it's a much more interesting dynamic of having this character who has been a bitch to everybody around her and therefore has no friends and nobody to help her out and nobody to support her so uh so i like i like that they've done that yeah i'm, I'm loving jerry's uh story at the moment i think uh it really adds kind of just an interesting dynamic to this heartless woman who has this medical condition and now she's having to reach out to the people that to be honest she's not been too friendly to and even as we see in this episode and um, she certainly doesn't like helping people off the pavement no. <laughs> you know, her, her iciness 
continues. I do like Jamie's um suggestion that she is at room temperature. Uh and maybe that's a, yeah. Jerry on a good day. Yes. Yeah. So thanks everyone for your feedback. It's really good to get um those thoughts in uh to keep the the discussion alive for Jessica Jones season two. Um Derek, I think we can move on to our spoiler filled review of episode four. Uh what have you got with some of the episode details? Yeah, this episode was written by Jack Kenny, first male writer on the show so far uh, this season. He has got a co-writing credit on another episode later on in the season, uh, so this is kind of two episodes that he's been heavily involved in. Uh, in the past, he's written Warehouse 13 and Kevin Probably Saves the World, uh, a TV show where he works with the former showrunners of Agent Carter, uh, Tara Butters and Michelle Fazekas. Yeah. Who we love. We yeah. love those two. I have not heard of that show, but now I'm interested. I loved a- Warehouse 13. Mm-hmm. Absolutely loved Warehouse 13. Shame it's gone. Should be back. Right. But Kevin probably saves the world. It has not reached the Irish shores just yet. It's not. No, I think it's uh, it's just finished its first season in the US. So uh, hopefully it'll be back for another season. Um, I haven't heard much about it, I must admit. I know I know Tara Butters and Michelle Fasek has brought over a couple of the other writers from that they worked with on Agent Carter as well. So um, so yeah, quite interesting. We'll have to, have to check that out whenever it makes it to our shores. The episode was directed by Deborah Chow, who directed uh, Lead Horse Back to Stable, which was Iron Fist episode 11. Um, she's also directed an episode of The New Lost in Space reboot for Netflix as well, which is coming in April, I believe. Yes, I am looking forward to that. I know it's either going to be amazing <laughs> or <laughs> not so amazing, <laughs> but I have high hopes. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I have high hopes for it in this. The Netflix have yet to fully go amazingly wrong, uh-huh. and I don't think... Apart from Cloverfield Paradox. Yeah. <laughs> To say that, the Matt LeBanc film is not as bad as I remembered. Really? Okay. Yeah, it's bad. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> it's not as bad as we remember. It's good bad. Yeah, it's like Neapolitan ice cream. You know, it's kind of got your chocolate, your vanilla, your strawberry. It's not amazing, but you kind of end up mixing it together and it's like, all right, this is, <laughs> this is different. I could, I can go with this. Okay. I'm never going to do it again. I'm never going to eat you again, but I can go with it right now because you're three forms of ice cream in one. Interesting. Yeah. I am looking forward to the Lost in, Lost in Space reboot. The 60s version of the show was so campy, beyond belief. And then we had, you know, the the X-Men version of it for the Lost in Space movie with Oscar award-winning Gary Oldman and uh, and not Oscar award-winning Matt LeBlanc. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, was the Lost in Space original, was it that good? I don't know. I loved the robot. That was great. Well, the idea was the Swiss family Robinson in space, effectively, yeah. and it was almost exactly that. <laughs> so, uh, But, you know, there was some things to play with and things to do, and I think the trailer that's come out for it is really interesting. So looking forward to seeing what Deborah Chow does on that. I think she directed episode five of the first season. So uh, so looking forward to seeing what she did on that. Absolutely. But let's get back to Jessica Jones, and let's see what Deborah and Jack gave us with your synopsis for this episode, John. Sure. It's hot in New York City, and as the temperature rises, everyone is a little more on edge. Jerry continues to contemplate her future and begins to consider more extreme measures to combat her medical condition as she looks at off-grid medical treatments and euthanasia. In the apartment block, Malcolm needs to keep busy busy and asks for a bigger slice of action with Alias Investigations, and Oscar extends an olive branch and a bottle of whiskey after Jessica saves his son Vito from falling out of her window. 
Elsewhere, between court-prescribed anger management classes and tabloid in- intrigue, Jessica and Trish investigate the third patient linked to IGH as they move from Sally's wig shop to coercing Maximilian for more general Metro hospital records. They identify Inez Green and track her to a derelict building in New York. Jessica and Trish soon realize that Inez is another piece of the puzzle, a nurse at IGH who was terrorized by her patient, the impersonator of Dr. Hansen. As they find out more about IGH and their murderous suspect from Inez, little do they realize that their case is being dismantled as Jessica's case notes are stolen by an unknown burglar. As Jessica and Trish seek to protect their newfound witness, they come across a bloody scene outside Jessica's apartment that threatens them all. Yeah. It does. That was, I liked that rocking van. I thought it was good. Like superhero. It was kind of like real murderous, bloody washing machine. I kind of, I kind of liked it. Yeah. It was, it was like, um, the Tasmanian devil had been let loose inside, inside the van. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cool. But let's get into our top five case notes. Um, case note number one. I want to talk about this one because it's very personal to myself and John, really. Um, Oscar's wife arrives, Oscar's ex-wife arrives at the apartment block, opening the door in front of Jessica, and they have a little little tete-a-tete, a little problem. Um, the reason why this really stood out to me is because the actress who plays it is Vicky Cartagena, yes. who was on Gotham Season 1, played René Montoya, and was our first ever interview that we did uh, about two months before Gotham came out, so yeah. back when we were on, in our Single Figures podcasts. Yes, absolutely. It was really good to see uh, Vicky Cartagena as uh, Oscar's wife, or ex-wife. Mm-hmm. Um as Jessica said, she was seemingly being a bit of a bitch, but trying to obviously uh, get custody of their their son, Vito. Uh, but it was really good to see um, Detective Rene Montoya on the streets of Marvel. It really was. Yeah, we got two excellent little snippets of, of Victoria playing Oscar's wife. So that was really, uh, really cool. And plus it also allowed us a little bit more of Oscar's background, you know, and, and we, we do get a little bit more here, you know, they're obviously in a custody battle. Certainly it's, um, it's a case of changing relationship. You know, it seems like they were maybe childhood sweethearts, mm-hmm. which just kind of drifted apart. Uh, and as well, you know, we, we do get confirmation here that Oscar, um, is, and was in prison. So, you know, he's done some bad stuff, uh, primarily from forging documents, it looks like. Yeah. And all of this is driven by the big arguments going on between Oscar and his ex-wife upstairs that drives Visa to come downstairs to uh, investigate alias investigations really he's looking he's looking for some more information on the super that lives in his building you know uh, i think that i love this kind of scene between the two of them i think it's really it's really fun to see a kid and jessica jones interact she just doesn't seem to go very well with children you know um but he asks her all the questions that we've all been asking he's asking about all the powers and she's giving him no more information at all but then he does the stupidest thing in the world standing in the window of the building going, will you save me if I fall? Like, luckily, she was within a couple of feet. Like, Yeah, this is kind of survival of the fittest, really, isn't it? Did you feel, did you feel that they were channeling Donner here? With the Lois Lane scene in Superman 2? Oh, Richard Donner, yes. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just kind of like, oh, well, Clark, if you're not Superman, well, I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. But if you are Superman, you're going to save me. Whoops! <laughs> I was like, okay, yeah, I get what you're doing. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. Nice not. Really liked... Montoya, uh, in this, uh, obviously, yes, very nice to see her back mm-hmm. to cross over to the, the light side of comic books. <laughs> of course, I'm messing people. I'm messing. Uh, Gotham is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, it was nice to see her 
I don't know how much. I haven't checked IMDb. I don't know how many episodes she is in. Yeah. I think she'll play a small bit. If not, the arc I can see happening already is Oscar will uh, go. Uh, something will happen. Jessica, obviously involving Jessica, Oscar will lose custody, and that will be the end of um, that that kind of relationship, etc., that we see blossoming. Yeah, and she'll come back. So she'll probably be in one or two more times throughout the season, um, but predominantly probably at the end to take. Oscar's little annoying son or suicidal son away. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. The The custody battle could well and truly have been over very quickly if Jessica hadn't managed to get her grip to his ankle in time. Short and sweet custody battle. Absolutely, <laughs> Absolutely yeah. I, 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 did, I did like it, but I, I know what they were trying to do with this scene, um, but I do kind of feel that it would have been nice if Jessica had used her superpowers to save, to save Vito. Because what we were seeing for the last few episodes, I know Oscar clarifies in this episode that he's not against supers, but what we were thinking for the first three episodes was that he was against superpowers. And I feel if Jessica had used her, her jumping ability or her super strength to stop something happening here, it could have helped a little bit more to justify why Oscar's suddenly back on her side again. I know she saved his son's life, and that's absolutely justification why Oscar is now back on side with her. But it would have been nice if it was something to do with the superpowers. Like, for example, if you had Iceman being criticized by other people around him because he's a superman, a superhuman, well, then you let, you let him save using his ice powers. With Jessica, she's got superpowers. It would have been great if she was using those superpowers to save Vita. Um well, she has used them to move his fridge, so you know <laughs> that that could have gone down better than it did. Because you know, it you know, speaking of fridges, he kind of went from deep freeze uh, to through to room temperature to you know proper scalding hot. You know, this is furnace hot, where it, you know Jessica's moving into the zip area on his uh, on his body. <laughs> yes, and then all the way back, just smoldering. Let's call it smoldering. Yeah. He kind of went up, 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 and so we're going to slow down just here. Yeah. Yeah. And he does bring in Maker's Mark whiskey. Mm Mm-hmm. Nice little tipple. I can see a lot of people having a problem with just this scene. Okay. It just felt, and the character progressed just so quickly. Like, if if you had the first half of the scene, him offering... Him offering the whiskey, saying thank you, blah, blah, blah. Then having one drink and going. Mm -hmm. Then following up in the next episode with another drink where they then, this kind of longing in the eyes happen. And then the next, the, the, the kiss happens. Then I can see it better. I can see the progression better. This just felt, as John said, he went from... Ice cold in the last episode and the beginning of this episode to you saved my kid. Thank you so much yeah. to I'm going to sit and talk to you for what we consume is a couple of hours. Like they're going through a bottle of whiskey mm-hmm. and they're not, they're not gulping it down and shooting it. And then suddenly, okay, let's kiss. And then slightly back down. It just, it was too quick. But I think that's the whole point of the scene. The whole point of the scene is that it's too quick. And that's what freaks Oscar out. Even the kiss is too quick, initiated by Jessica, because that's Jessica. She is this type of person that will go, Oh, someone's being nice to me. I'll sleep with them because she's broken. She has, she has been broken and it's been seen earlier on in the season. A guy 
compliments her ass, which in episode two, which we expected was going to have Jessica punch the guy out, it turns out that she's going to drag him into a, a, a bathroom stall and have sex with him in there. This is Jessica right now. She's quite broken and she feels anybody being nice to her could be a, the next potential, uh, well, the next potential lay, basically. It doesn't mean that she's going to have a relationship with them, but that's his point. That's Oscar going, hold on a second, half an hour ago, I was going to evict you and you hated me and now you're, you want to have sex with me? Hang on, slow down. Um, if it had waited an episode, he wouldn't have been able to have that conversation. And Oscar's point is that it is way too fast. Yeah. You're, I mean, you're he does right call person. it out, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, which is good for the scene because, yeah, otherwise it is, yeah, ice cold, furnace hot, uh, very quickly. Yeah. Um, but it is initiated by, by Jessica as well. Um, but it, that was good having that conversation, I think, on the couch as well because we, we, we do have an answer to our season one uh, question. Yes. Superpowered or gifted? Um, Jessica doesn't really give a shit, to be honest, yeah. uh, it would seem. <laughs> she, uh, she's heard both of, uh, of these, uh, used to explain who she is. Um, but she's footloose and fancy free, as we can see. So gifted, superpowered, superhero. Yeah, we can use any of them. There you go. Yeah, finally got an but answer. But we prefer gifted. Yeah, I, I love that she says it. Yeah, the, the actual line she says is, "We prefer gifted." Actually, I don't give a shit. <laughs> Copy whatever you want. But yeah, it is nice to have that uh, that mentioned in there. I also like the questions that are asked. We did see those in the trailer. The questions that she always get a, gets asked from people when she tells them she's a super. It's, "What are you? How did you end up like this? Are you going to kill me?" <laughs> Three questions she gets asked over and over again. I thought that's a nice little touch. Uh, one other thing I really liked about the direction of the episode and how it was set up. That moment when. Uh, Oscar's at the door giving her the maker's mark and she invites him in for a drink and then it instantly cuts to Trish and Griffin having sex. I did actually think that that was Oscar and Jessica having sex instantly afterwards. Thought it was actually even quicker than they'd, than they'd laid out, but I thought it was a nice little reveal that it was actually Griffin and, uh, and Trish in that scene. I, I have a slight gripe with gifted. I know you do, Chris, but it's been confirmed in the show that it's gifted. <laughs> I know, but I'm a Marvel purist. Gifted is very much an X-Men term. It's very much a... It's what I associate with the X-Men. It's what I associate with mutants. It's not with uh, anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, or in humans or anything like that that's in the, the, the MCU. Mm-hmm. Well, I suppose X-Men and mutants will be coming to the MCU potentially mm-hmm. soon. Blah, blah, blah. I get it. But it's just, I don't know, the Marvel purist in me goes, you're not a mutant, Jessica. You can't be gifted. <laughs> well, there is a TV show called Gifted, so it definitely won't be, uh, won't be taken back by them. But that's, that is just the, the gag is we prefer being called gifted, but I don't really care. That's, that's yeah, the gag. I know. It's just, I care. I care, <laughs> Jessica. I care. Yes. But anyway, on that, on that annoyance, uh, gentlemen, should we talk about uh, case note number two? Mm-hmm. Paparazzi. Yes. Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga. Paparazzi. That's the best I can do when we're recording at this time in the morning. Yeah, I like just like how the paparazzi play by Jessica Jones in the last episode, how that played out in this episode, and how much help it actually gave her when it wasn't supposed to. The whole point was to block Trish from getting out of her apartment. She calls the paparazzi to come down and effectively block her into her into her place. But it turns out by having the paparazzi follow Trish, this photograph gets taken of Trish and Malcolm, which has the killer in the background. So Jessica's able to use that photograph to find out that um, she has the wig, that she's wearing the wig, and find a way to find this killer who is effectively 
there's no way to find her. There's there's no other information that Jessica has about her now because she doesn't know her name. She doesn't know who she is. So, uh, so I think that's quite interesting that it played out so well for Jessica. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, she does concede it was a dick move on her part to mm-hmm. Trish and that she will never do it again. Um, I really like the fact that here, again, we have Trish and Griffin. I think Griffin potentially here is getting a little shade here. We see him with a kind of a, a shady post-coitus uh, phone call. Mm-hmm. Who is it? What's it about? So we see Griffin getting a little shadier here. You know, who's the mystery caller? Um, again, I'm kind of really intrigued to see this, uh, but it's it's nice to see Trish and Griffin uh, come back together after having, you know, questions thrown at their relationship uh, mm-hmm. over Trish and, and Malcolm, that Malcolm was her, her new boyfriend, her new lover. Um, so really, really good. And of course, the best thing here is that they identify that the killer, as you say, Derek, wears a wig and it leads us to Sally's wig shop. My God, I love Sally. Deadpan Sally. Proper, proper good. She um, has to be one of the best side characters that's come into Jessica Jones. I yeah. just thought she was absolutely hilarious. Oh, it's Patsy as, as Trish <laughs> walks into the shop. Just that moment of, I hate this woman completely. I hate this kid. What she did to me when she bit my arm 17 years yeah, ago. Destroyed some of her yeah. best wigs. Yeah. Um, I love it when she just goes, Patsy goes to rehab. There's your comeback show. It was really, <laughs> really good. And of course, the idea that, you know, Trish just seems to have a bottomless purse here. And I, I love how Sally gets the last hundred dollar bill where she goes, you know, come on, hand it over and then doesn't say anything. And then goes, no more information. Yeah. I mean, $300 for two little bits of information. Nice mm-hmm. job, Sally. Absolutely. Nice job. And I think it does feel like in this episode, Trisha's superpower is to give out all of the money in her wallet because <laughs> yeah. she also pays off the bum who tells him where uh, Inez is. Um, thought that was just quite funny. It's like Jessica just keeps looking at her going, all right, give more money, more money. <laughs> You are my ATM. Exactly. Yeah, Patsy, exactly. Patsy the ATM. Uh-huh. Yeah. I love the line, cancer and drag queens are half my business, baby. Mm-hmm. I just, it was just, it was just like, oh, that's, that's so terrible, but also such a great line. Yeah. 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 It's just like that stuck in my brain for this episode. I'm like, literally, that should have been AKA cancer and drag queens are half my business. <laughs> and then we would have no idea. Like that, I think that's a way to, as much as I like, God help the hobo. Mm-hmm. Counter and drag queens are half my business. This baby is so much better. Yes, that would have given no spoilers away. Absolutely, for the exactly. <laughs> we, we do as well. See RuPaul on, on the the wall mm-hmm. uh, framed as well. So she's got uh, you know fairly big clients. Yes, she does. Yes, she does. Including well. Patsy as well. There's only three people in, in all of New York that do. Uh, wigs made out of human hair and she's one of them so obviously she'll have the biggest of the clients and um, one other thing I wanted to comment on in this at this point really is there's definitely the writers wanted to put in something about the paparazzi themselves I just like that the moment where uh, Trish and Griffin are standing in front of the paparazzi they're shouting at them going um, so is it all over is that the end of your relationship they stand together and they go no it's not and then the paparazzi are not giving them anything until they kiss and then the minute they kiss, they go, so who's getting married? Who's pregnant <laughs> to them? As if like everything, you know, as long as we have a photograph to prove something about now we need more story. Now we need more story, you know, uh, definitely a commentary, commentary on the paparazzi. They don't believe anything that they write. They're writing things to get people to buy their magazines, their rag mags effectively. So that's their, the little commentary in the show. I, I, I love that. Yeah. This is the National Enquirer mm-hmm. 
the my baby ate a dingo and gained <laughs> bad powers. Yeah, I ha- I have the photographic proof. Sadly, there's more and more of them than just the National Choir now. There's there's like hundreds of publications that are willing to just take a photograph of something and make up a story around it, and that's that's yeah. kind of where you have it here. Like this, I think the last episode of something like fifteen paparazzi are outside trying to get a photograph of this former child star Trish. She's a radio personality, but she's really just a former child star. And possibly she may have broken up with her boyfriend. Like that's all it is. But there's so many publications around. I think that's kind of the part of the commentary about it is that it's not just one thing that everybody just ignores and laughs at. It's now pervading normal media now. It's becoming part of Sky News and Fox News to have a story about a celebrity possibly cheating on their boyfriend. Like that's that's not news, you know? No. And I, I, I like the fact that you see Griffin, mm-hmm. who, yes, he's British, he wears suits, and we still don't trust him, but he makes valid points in this, mm-hmm. where we see, he's like, I'm, this is your life, this is not me, like, like I don't have the paparazzi trailing me, I'm a legitimate news, and she's like, I'm trying to get there, yeah. but like, you're basically dating a child ex-child star mm-hmm. i felt for trish but i agreed with griffin and i'm like oh you're starting to get me to like you mm. <laughs> you're gonna be even more evil and little did we know i was right again yeah. but uh, we'll get to that point later on well he does seem to be the kind of more level-headed as well because i, I did like the line he says you're quite therapized, aren't you? <laughs> Those really kind of good lines. Yes. And she's kind of like, oh, yes. Yes, I am. Yeah. I mean, uh, and you kind of get that hint from the the wig shop as well, from Sally, that's like, oh, God, you know, here, here, here's the drug adult Trish here. Yeah. You know, from, uh, from or Patsy, from, from her previous incarnation. Yeah. Uh, and again, that's really nice how that links in just with the idea that, you know, Trish is battling to have privacy, but she wants to make it big. You know, she's like, I don't want my privacy sold. You know, that was done by my, my mum when I was 12. And yet she does seek out the, you know, she wants the big story, um, as well. So it, it's that kind of dilemma of being in the public eye, almost, uh, feeding off it and, and really enjoying it. But at the same time, then there's the privacy issue that goes back to her childhood as, as Patsy. As I say, really she, she is looking for the news story though. She's looking for something, a, a big news story to make her a proper journalist. These stories about her relationship and all that kind of stuff, her personal life, they're not news. And she knows that, but she's been subject to it for so many years now that she still realizes that a, a cameraman could be waiting around any corner yeah, of the long lens to take a photograph of her doing something bad. And she's kind of going, as I would be, I'm sure, if I was in any kind of situation like this, that's not news. Stop covering that. Cover this stuff about IGH. You've been experimenting on humans to bring them back to life. Like that's a that's a news story. Yeah. yeah. I and mean, her line with her publicist is you're my publicist, sort this. Mm-hmm, exactly. Like you're kinda like she's like, I've done this before, it's not a thing. Yeah. And even like you can see it in her exacerbated uh face. Yeah. Uh, the, the actress p- p- portrays this well when she's just they're like, all right, just hug. And the two of them are like, Ugh. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to quickly bring it back to Griffin because we, we've talked about, and even, even our fellow defenders have talked about this, which is, and John mentioned it, which is the laptop scene. Uh, and then we've also mentioned where he made the phone call in this after coitus. Mm-hmm. Um, they're heavily, heavily shoving this down your throat 
that he is a he, something's wrong with him. He's not a good guy. And I'm, I'm more and more becoming convinced that this is just a red herring. Right, right. Like, it's just, it, it's very much in your face. Mm-hmm. Now, I happily be wrong. Yeah. I'm happy to be said, okay, well, actually, he turns out just to be a bad guy. And then, like, oh, well, that was just bad writing. But well done. <laughs> he, you're making me think that he, he's not a bad guy because he's doing bad things. But, like, it was an old switcheroo, but not a switcheroo, if you understand yeah, what I mean. Yeah, um, It's just, I, I don't know. I, I, I want them to slow down slightly. Wow. <laughs> just on that one. I'm just okay. like, okay, people, we've got 13 more episodes. Unless he's only part of Act 1 mm-hmm. and not part of Act 2. Like, it, it depends on how they want to play this. Yeah. But it was just like every episode so far, in the, well, the last three episodes, we've gotten some form of him being nefarious-ish. Yeah, I want, I want to find out what it is. I want to find out what it is that he's doing because it felt like um, Trish was doing the investigation into IGH the last time he logged onto her computer. Then the minute she gets up out of bed to go for a shower, he makes a phone call. So that all that stuff seems very shady, but I'm sure we'll find that out. That's definitely not being put in there and we're not going to hear about it. We're definitely going to hear about it in a, in a later episode. Let's go on to case number three. Yeah, absolutely. Price is now going after Malcolm. Uh, yeah, Price... Cheng is trying to bring Malcolm into his company, um, trying to get him to, to leave Alias Investigations here. I think one of the big things I really enjoyed, um, about this was just kind of getting a little hint into Malcolm actually, because, um, you know, we, we learn a bit about, uh, Malcolm's father. You know, Malcolm says, you're quoting my father back at me. So obviously his father is a journalist, maybe, or some kind of, uh, writer, maybe a novelist or a lecturer writing articles. Yeah. Because he, he quotes a, um, a line back to, to Malcolm. Uh, you know, Cheng again showing he's really done his homework. Um, and it really fires up Malcolm to, to really push Jessica then, yeah. uh, to, so, you know, stop treating him, just stop firing him, I suppose, you know, to try and get 25% and he, of, of all the cases that Jessica gets. So, um, he gets 20. So that's, a, that's a good outcome for him. But I have to say, I really kind of like this fidgety Malcolm in here. Um, you know, it, it's that idea that he really does need to keep busy. Um, you really do get the sense that he is on hot, hot stones and he, he, he's still dealing with the addiction that, that he has. And I, I just really liked, um, these whole scenes with Malcolm. I mean, even were, you know, the, is it Marcia pops her head out of the window or he calls a Marcia and then we get, you know, Marcia, Maria, uh, Macy, and she's like, it's Marlene. And it's kind of like, you know, the, the, he's keeping himself busy by getting women to, to come back and go through, I suppose, a bit of Malcolm loving, uh, <laughs> really. Uh, and I, I thought this was really, really cool. I'm, I'm wondering if this uh, is a bit of a fuel, feed one addiction with a different addiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Are, are they going to do the whole, you're a sex addict? Uh, kind of, you need an intervention. <laughs> I don't know if they would do it that badly. I, I don't just think, think, yeah. Yeah, I just, I saw it and I was like, okay, it's a bit of humor. I'm like, oh, they're gonna, they're gonna turn this into a bad thing. Yeah. It's just like, he's now living his life. 
Yes, I, but I think he's making up for lost time. Absolutely. After, after a year being on the heroin, you know, I think he's making up for lost time. Um, that was his one true love during that time. But it is called out in the episode because I was trying to think back of why it is that we're seeing this so often. This is the third girl I think we've seen in the, in four episodes now. I think, uh, definitely two. Um, but he did call it out to Jessica. It's effectively, if he's left alone, with nothing to do, then he may turn back to the drugs. That's kind of it. So this feels like it's just filling up the time uh, that he's just left alone and has nothing to do. That's what it kind of feels like. Uh, but calling out the fact that he doesn't even know the name of the girl because he's using an app to get these girls over to his house, that that's kind of funny. That's just a little joke. So I guess Annette isn't coming back as a villain in the future of the series now. No, no. The fact that she was mentioned and name-checked and never again. I'm kind of like, oh, okay, this is just going to be a running gag of different women's names mm-hmm. throughout the episodes. Um, I do like I do like that Malcolm has become more than the sum of his parts in season one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, He's become a fleshed-out character. He, we enjoyed him in season one, and we were chatting about, like, I really want to see more of him in the future, yeah. but I like how they're now ter- they've taken that now. We're four episodes in. I've said that a lot of this episode, but in other words, like we're we're nearly at episode five, and they're fleshing out him as a character on his own right. Yeah, big time. Yeah, he he's not a plot point as he was in season one. To a degree, he was a plot point. He was a turning point. Yeah, he's quite huge. It was it was him that was spying on Jessica for Kill Killgrave. Obviously, that was quite a yes. quite a significant point. But in the comic books, Malcolm is a young kid. He's about sixteen, seventeen years old who just will not leave Jessica Jones alone. He keeps answering her phone when she doesn't want it to be answered. He keeps taking down notes for clients and this kind of stuff. So. This is very much what they're doing with Malcolm in this season. He's an annoyance to Jessica, even though he's actually doing things that help her business. But it's nice to see him step up, which Ruben never got the chance to do in the comic books. He steps up here and says, I want to be effectively a partner in your business. I'm going to work for you. You're going to pay me as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just wonder, will, will we get a big bounce that, that really, um, affects Jessica again? It'd be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I definitely think at the end of this episode, the, Dr. Hansen impersonator, we think is going to be the big bad. Like, you know, it's, uh, it, it feels a little bit like the, um, the terror dogs in, in Ghostbusters going in and ripping apart the, the guy who steals all of the stuff from Jessica's office. Yeah. That was pretty brutal, to be honest. Uh, I really, I really like that. Just obviously we have seen that the person they've been tracking isn't this woman. And so, you know, she's the, presumably watching Jessica's apartment because it's right outside Jessica's apartment. And obviously with Malcolm not taking Cheng's offer, um, he sends one of his own associates in there to take all of her case notes um, and files in order to try and find some dirt on this because we do see, you know, him and Jerry now have parted ways. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he's paid back the retainer um, and he, he's really, you know, slightly pissed that she didn't follow up on, on suing Jessica and bringing her to, to court. So, yeah. um, but unfortunately his associate is kind of, yeah is battered and, and murdered by, uh, yeah, this, this crazy lady. Well, yeah, but the signature move of his head being twisted around on his body Absolutely. as well. Um, it, it is quite interesting that they've taken all the information about IGH from her office because some of that is the personal stuff. They've taken the death certificates of all of her family members from the wall and taken them with it. They've taken every single thing in the apartment. And it wasn't the intention of Chang. You hear him actually say to the guy over the phone, and if you get any cases out of this, they're yours now. Um, and we'll hopefully find some dirt in here. But they've effectively just taken everything, including personal family stuff from Jessica's office, which is pretty harsh. 
I do like the way Malcolm finds out about it, though. Yeah, yeah. The third woman that he is sleeping with. Uh, I was right. There was three. The third woman that he's brought home is an alco who's looking for alcohol and obviously smells it from Jessica's office because it must smell of booze at this <laughs> stage. Um, but I love that moment where she walks in and goes, I want to, want to meet a real, real PI. Malcolm says, I'm a PI. And she goes, well, investigate me up some alcohol. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's how Malcolm finds out the place has been ransacked because it's completely empty of all of the documentation that they've been working on for the last uh, couple of days. I just love the, the, the look on Jessica's face at the end of this where she sees the dead body. Mm. Yeah. This, this for me was some of Kristen Ritter's best acting as Jessica Jones. Mm -hmm. She's like, I'm not a killer. I'm not a killer. I'm not like that kind of monotonous. Like, this is not me. I'm not, this is not me. This is not me. Um, and just the trauma, not trauma is probably too strong of a word. The hurt, the melancholy, the, I, I, I don't know the right word, but just that, 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 that that look in the eyes where it's kind of like, Oh God, you think this is me, but this is not me. This is not who I am. Yeah. I may be powered. I may be gifted, quote unquote, but I'm not a killer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's really interesting. It kind of links into our, our fourth case note, um, you know, about, uh, Inez Green. Uh, but, you know, whilst Trish and, and Tr- Jessica are, are, are investigating all this, I, I love that moment in Trish's apartment where, um, she goes, no family, no friends sounds familiar. Yeah. And, you know, Trish is kind of like going, you're nothing like that. And she goes, I'm not relating. I'm just profiling. And then, you know, it, they're looking into her sort of criminal record and it goes, homeless, probably can't deal with a boss or a landlord. Uh, now I'm relating. And it's all the way through this that Jessica kind of feels she, um, is the same as the, this murderous crazy lady. Yeah. Um, that, you know, when Inez talks about the, the, the rage in her eyes and, and what she does, um, that there's kind of an association there. And I think just back to your point, Chris, you know, where she's kind of going, that's not me. That's not me. It's that moment where she realizes, okay, there may be some similarities, but I am not this person that would do something like that in yeah. terms of that, the murdering of that guy in the back of his van. So I, I really like that kind of thread through this episode. Um, I, I thought it was really good. And I really liked how they tracked Inez Green or Minez Mean as the homeless, uh, the other hobo uh, that is helping them find uh, where uh, this person is. Um, hmm. And it's kind of a nice little twist that it isn't the the crazy killer lady, but it actually is a, a, a nurse of IGH. So someone that maybe would be construed as being villainous, but she's absolutely scared out of her mind. Yeah, yeah. And, and that is the interesting part of this. Jessica is identifying with all of these, this information that she's finding out about Inez Green, thinking it's the killer from uh, the previous episodes that we've seen and going, this sounds just like me. This sounds, I'm exactly the same as this person. When in fact, Inez Green is actually just a person who's lost her home and is out on the streets because she was a nurse at IGH and attacked by uh, the killer or by the murderer. So actually, when, I, when Jessica's identifying with all of these traits that Inez Green is, it doesn't actually mean anything. It doesn't mean that she is a killer and doesn't mean that she's a murderer. So by the end of the episode, she's realized, oh, okay, actually, I'm not a killer. And now suddenly she's being blamed for a murder. Yeah, I, I, I'm not 100% sure Inez is not, not fully powered. Mm-hmm. She says something about her spine or her legs being broken. 
Yeah, she said torn and uh, torn asunder. Yeah, she says her back's broke was broken, and you know her back was all sliced up from the broken glass because she was thrown across the room like a rag doll. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. Yeah. yeah, yes, she walks. Yeah. So either we're going to get a healer power individual mm-hmm. very soon, or uh, as in like another wizard but a healer, <laughs> or we're going to get cameo. <laughs> yeah, or we get like Archangel when he had we can Angel, where I should say when he had healing powers. Yeah. We'll get some Christian kind of like deep south character who believes God has given him powers or her powers Maybe. to heal. I don't know. We're that it's that, or she actually turns out to be she actually died. They brought her back to right. life. She doesn't know, and she is powered. I don't know. I just she she says she says it so casually that she says I'm not powered. She also says her back was broken, yeah. and it doesn't feel yeah. like she's powered because of obviously Jessica throwing her across the room like she would never be able to throw the killer or the uh, Doctor Hansen impersonator, um, because that's their powers against each other would be are, are quite difficult. Um, she also drops like a sack of spuds uh, when Trish comes up behind her with the uh, <laughs> enhanced taser. Um, can we talk about Trish? In oh, these please, yay! Because. Yes. It's here. She is fantastic in these scenes. I really, really enjoy that. And particularly the moment when she shoots up the the inhaler, when she uh, sucks on the inhaler for the first time. I love how the entire screen brightens to show that she's got these enhanced abilities. But she is suddenly like a raging tiger in a cage trying to use these powers on something, effectively. It doesn't matter who it is or what it is. I love that she just goes straight up behind Inez, zaps her, dropping her to the floor, and then goes, oh, that's not the woman that, <laughs> yeah, that I'm absolutely. supposed to be doing this to. You know? And shoot first, ask questions yeah. later kind of thing. Uh, that was a great effect. I loved how it kind of just uh, rippled through um, just that enhancement of her vision. And, yeah. and seeing her pupils contract as well. Same really, as Simpson when he did it exactly. as well. Exactly. So, yeah. Really, really good. And I just love the fact that it, you know Trish arms up, basically. I love when they're about to go after her and she comes out with one of Simpson's weapons. And like Jessica's going... Uh, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, we're not going grocery shopping in Texas. I just loved, <laughs> loved that line. And Trish has kind of suddenly got so much testosterone piling through her. Um, it's just not true. Like, she's really going gung ho for this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I love the fact that she takes, um, a puff on, uh, Simpsons inhaler. Really do. Again, you know, she used to be an addict. Well, will we see that this is slightly addictive? I don't know. Because a lot of this show talks about addiction in terms of, like, with Jessica's drinking, mm-hmm. with what happened in Malcolm. You know, Trish used to be. Is there something here that is is going to um, maybe blow up for her? She's had a taste of it. I don't know. Mm-hmm, maybe. Hellcat has been unleashed. Yeah. Um, this is, this was, we, we asked last episode, when she took the inhaler, mm-hmm. could this be the origin of Hellcat? And this is exactly what we're getting. Maybe. The origin of Hellcat. <laughs> the aggression, the, the enhanced reflexes, mm-hmm. the agility. It is all there from the, this, this inhaler. And that kind of, the feline, um, vision in terms of everything's turned up in brightness. I just went, Oh, cat like vision, right. night vision. Yeah. Oh, that's kind of where I, where it went for me. Mm-hmm. It was nice to see. I think this is what we're going to get. She is now powered. There'll be some remnants. Even if she comes off the inhaler, what we'll find is that some of it has left in her system. Right. And yeah. She's still empowered. The addiction point is a good point, John. 
The reason that I think it might happen is because the red eyes yeah. on Simpson in episode two, right. where he has like really bloodshed red eyes and like he looks like a junkie looking for a fix. Yeah. He takes the hit, his eyes clear up. Absolutely. And he becomes normal. Yeah. And she does go slightly on edge after she's taken it. Like when they're asking, um, in his green, questioning her and trying to find details and she just kind of comes rocketing in and really is really forceful with her you know to the point where jessica's having to pull her back it's like you know she's gone slightly mental by taking it and she's she's on edge she's hyped up and she's just sort of a bulldozer you know she is that bull in the china shop with this stuff kind of coursing through Mm -hmm. her veins so I, i really like that sort of switch in in trisha's personality as well after she had taken it you know she's the one that's kind of trying to keep jessica from doing things um without thinking and then all of a sudden it's starting to be her that's doing that in in this short time after she's taken it it's like it's starting to cloud her brain a bit i love that scene when they're driving back with inez in the back of the car they're driving back to jessica's apartment and jessica's like there's nobody chasing us slow down the car Uh, she's driving at like 100 miles an hour around the corner you know really good moment and again as we mentioned jessica's the one that's being arrested for the murder because it looks like a superpower person but Trish can't help herself. This, this stuff that's in her system now will still, will make her punch out a cop, basically. She, try, she, she pushes a cop away and she's also arrested at the end of this episode. So, uh, so the two of them are going to be spending some time in, in the, uh, in the prison next week, I guess. I'm assuming so. Um, I do, I do like, uh, basically to, to finish up the point, as you mentioned about the change in, in Patsy is that like in the Maximilian scene, she's the one Asking to Jess to hold back. Yes. yes. When Jess punches through the car, she's like, Jess, don't do this. Don't be, don't let your aggression win. Yeah. This is now the opposite yeah. where Jessica's going, Oh, calm down, calm down, calm down. I like that, that the, the, the flip of the switch that potentially when we see Hellcat, Hellcat is the aggressive, amped up, like ready to go. Everything is wrong rage of Trish. And then when Trish is normal, when she is Trish, She's the more reserved, controlled person. Yeah. I like that. I don't know if they'll go down this addiction route, but I kind of hope not. I hope it's just, just normal thing. But anyway, let's, um, move on to point five, our final case note. We learn a bit more about Jerry in particular, the history of her father. He died of cancer. It took two years, like, it was deteriorating his like life, her life, etc. She's worried that the the ALS could take up to eight years yeah. to kill her. Yeah. I was slowly taking away each of the, the her faculties. Yeah. Um, and I love this scene where she's talking to her doctor, um, where she's like, like, let's look at let's look at stem cell research. And the doctor's like, there is nothing else. There are no massive like cure-alls fix-alls and then jerry's like i hear of this thing over in europe and she's like it doesn't like she's basically saying nothing and then it takes you a second Mm -hmm. but then the, the conversation shifts dramatically but without saying the word euthanasia yeah she starts talking about how she wants to control everything yeah 
And this is the Jerry we know. C- control is a massive part of her character. I'm going to admit, it took me a second to understand that, okay, Jerry's talking about euthanasia here. Jerry's talking about ending it on her terms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She has that great line where she goes, there's a killer inside of me and I will not let it take control. It's that idea, as you say, Chris. She wants to be in control. She always has been. It's been part of her power. And now she's still internalizing uh, what the doctor has said to her. And she's looking for those options to gain back control. And ultimately, it's led her down a path where to gain that control. It's about saying, I choose the time of my death. You know, and it's, it's really, um, you know, it, as you say, they don't, as you say, they're not explicit, uh, in terms of euthanasia. Uh, and it, you know, it, it starts off about, um, drugs used in Europe, you know, that are quicker, more painless uh, and a guaranteed effect. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, she gets really hacked off with her doctor where he's like, you know, what do they teach you? Cause she's talking about palliative care. But I like the point where she's looking for off-grid treatments as well. Um, and that sort of links in with what you were saying, Derek, about um, our episode one discussion that, you know, maybe IGH does have a role here for, for Jerry and that she will get exposed to uh, this, this company and what it has done to Jessica and the other people. And she may just seek to sort of insert herself into getting some kind of off-grid treatment from IGH. Yeah, um, I'm still not too sure if IGH actually exists as an organization now, because all we've seen so far is the, Clinic, I suppose, where Jessica was brought and given these, given these powers and, and brought back to life. The same place that she saw Meatface, the, the monster that we have. Um, the same place that Wizard was, was brought to when he, uh, had his accident. Um, that's all we've seen and it looks in huge disrepair. So I don't know whether IGH is even in existence anymore. But, yeah, that's true. Yeah. And, and obviously the nurse is in the street, Inez, who was former nurse in IGH. So, I don't, I don't know whether it was destroyed at, at some point 10, 15 years ago or whether they've just moved premises and they are out there somewhere. So we've seen this flashback to some sort of ruckus mm-hmm. with Meatface and Jessica and nurses and, or we've seen fl- flashbacks this time. I'm assuming along the lines of potentially it was a government operation and then Jessica and Meat face and people escape because they, they revolt, yada, yada, yada. Things get shut down. Mm-hmm. But what we're going to find out then is, oh, actually, it was never really shut down. It's just been, it was moved to Simpsons medical, uh, military medical, uh, kind of Sorry. that, that, that whole program. Mm-hmm. And what we'll find then is actually continues on to this day. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. That, is, that is true. Obviously, Simpson is also involved. And we weren't really sure whether it was IGH particularly that he was involved in. But that absolutely could be could be it. And maybe Jerry will find some kind of resolution for, for this uh, when she goes there. But I do think it's quite interesting because obviously, you know, euthanasia, abortion, these kind of topics, sexual abuse, these kind of topics are the most fiery topics. You know, you could have someone yeah. watching these episodes and going... Jerry Hogarth has just talked about killing herself. She's already said to everybody else around her that she's still strong, has no ill effects, yet she's already ordering pentobarbital, uh, which is a barbiturate uh, for for pet euthanasia. She's already ordering that from a Russian website to get sent to her home so that when she chooses, maybe in a week, maybe in a year, 
when she chooses to go out, she's going to kill herself. Euthanasia is not legal in New York. Euthanasia is not legal in most states in the US. I don't think any states in the US, in fact. I think it's only available in, in a couple of other countries in Europe. But this is a very hot button topic to talk about. And I think that's the reason why she doesn't mention the word, um, because it, it's kind of hidden in the conversation. You can pick out what, what it is that she's saying, but it does sound a bit more like she's saying, um, I want to use some marijuana treatment because she says I'll get it from a back alley dealer in Amsterdam. Amsterdam's well known for marijuana. So maybe she, her doctor's saying to her, you know, I can give you palliative care, but Jerry's kind of going, well, maybe I want to have some, some marijuana to relieve the pain I'm going to experience in the future. But she is saying that she's looking for euthanasia treatments. That's what we see when she's looking up on the website later on. But it's, this will probably be the point of this episode that most people may have a problem with because of it being such a hot button topic. I agree with you, Derek. What we've seen is the scene where she's by Jerry's buying the pent up barbed mm-hmm. It's not even kind of expressly un- laid out what this yeah. is. Her demeanor and her actions kind of lead towards it. But the site's in Russian, and I didn't even know what that was. Right. I was like, okay, is that kind of, uh, I, I am kind of getting some under- and ideas because I knew what they were talking about euthanasia previously. Yeah. What I do think I suppose is interesting about this from Jerry's character point of view is effectively she only just found out about this illness a couple of days ago. She's finding out that her business, uh, her other partners in the business are going to get rid of her um, and pay her off and she doesn't want that to happen. And then the next conversation she's having with her doctor, so it's only probably about two or three days later, she's walking to her doctor going, right, tell me when the cure is going to happen. Tell me when the cure is coming. The doctor says, it could be years. We have no idea. We're only still investigating this stuff. And then immediately afterwards she goes, okay, looking at other options now, I want to have something in my drawer that if the cure doesn't come along, that means I'm going to, I'm going to take those drugs and kill myself. Um, this is a total Jerry Hogarth thing. Regardless of the discussion on euthanasia, I'm going to leave that to the side because this isn't a discussion about euthanasia. It's much more of a discussion about Jerry Hogarth herself wanting to have some kind of idea about where her future is going to be in two or three months Absolutely. or two or three years. I kind of like that that from Jerry. Like realistically, if she wants to kill herself, she just takes a gun and will and will shoot herself. But this whole discussion is ha- making sure she has a plan for the future because that's Jerry as a character, all in. She doesn't want to be someone that lives for eight years and six years of those are her drooling and having to be taken care of by somebody else. She doesn't want that. So it's a Jerry thing that she'd want to have a plan. But yeah, I think they avoided the topic itself. It is. It's it's her control. And it's in the same way that, you know, Cheng highlights that when he uh, comes into her office to effectively say, you know, I'm no longer on retainer with you. You know, mm-hmm. we're done here. You know, he talks about the Jerry I knew would have taken control of this. Yes. Um, so, you know, and finishes off with whatever it is you're going through. Uh, I hope you manage to sort it out kind of thing. So, it, right. you know, it's really just it kind of links into that. It is Jerry trying to find how she can manage this and control it. Yeah, because yes. that's her personality. Right. Yeah. And then the other thing is, don't forget that that the investigation into Chow and Benowitz has shown nothing yet. That's a really interesting moment, isn't it, with um, with Jerry calling up Jessica, who's got all of her own stuff going on, and it does feel like Jessica is giving no importance to Jerry's conversation that she had with her. She's saying to her, I'm in a life-and-death situation over here, which is the wrong thing to say to a woman who's just been told that she's dying. Like, Jerry's response to her is, um, so am I in a life-and-death situation, Jessica? I went all the way over to your apartment, rode up in your urine-soaked elevator, to tell you that I am dying and I need you to sort this out for me. And Jessica effectively 
kind of ignored her. She did a little bit of research, but kind of ignored her. Still has a lot more to do. Um, but an interesting moment there with Jerry saying thank you to Jessica. I don't know why. There was definitely a lot of waste to that thank you that Jessica has done even yeah. anywhere yeah, big time. in this because it feels like Jerry has no supporters at all. No, no, she has supporters. She just doesn't trust right. because we know Foggy did go there. She knows Jessica is as broken mm-hmm. as she is now. Yeah. So we we always talk about the themes and uh, for a lot of these shows, like everything from racism to like the PTSD mm-hmm. and things like that. This one seems very much around control, anger, um, loss. Yes. Like that is where those are the themes that they're building around. And what we see is people who Jessica connects with connects with part of that character of Jessica. So we see Jerry uh, connecting with Jessica in the terms of losing control, mm-hmm. not having control, the fear of the future. Yeah. We have Patsy on the uh, history and the sisterly love and the connection of family, uh, but then potentially other things. We've talked about it, but I don't want it to go there. Uh, we see Malcolm getting her life back on track. Mm-hmm. The, so basically, you take the the jigsaw that is Jessica and parts of those connect her to the other exactly. characters, which builds the overall theme and plot of the overall story Absolutely. Uh, for this season. What a great way to finish out our top five points, Chris. Good man. Thank you. Uh, I do try. Thanks. For that. Do you want to take <laughs> us on two notes? Yeah, just only really uh, one or two notes that I have, really. Um, one that I just love is that moment where Jessica punches through the car and goes, I should have punched you in the Prius before. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think it's a, a nice little line. And the other one is the anger management moment. We didn't talk about it at the beginning of the episode, but this is what this is the punishment that Jessica got in episode one that she has to go to anger management classes. And I think it's a fantastic scene. I really like these moments with uh, the guys there going, we're all the same. Why not share your story? And then she tells her story and everybody in the room is terrified of her. The minute she tells her story, it's like, not only do you have anger management issues, but you can also, you know, destroy a ball and crack a wall with this, with this little piece of plastic. So what could you do to us? Um, yeah, the great thing here as well is that even though Jessica's skeptical of this benign external action to soothe her internal strife, there is that moment uh, back in her apartment where she's lying on the sofa and she's bouncing a ball against her wall. Right, but then the skepticism comes back because she sits up and just throws it out the window. <laughs> um, she's obviously, it's not working potentially for her. So I, I really like that yeah. uh, aspect as well. On Whiskey Watch, we've got quite a lot as well. Um, Jessica buys herself uh, some Four Roses bourbon, a little cheaper than Tin Cup. So mm-hmm. she's starting to head uh, downhill with regards to the quality of her bourbon. But obviously then that's raised up by Oscar getting her the Maker's Mark uh, whiskey uh, bourbon that uh, they share on, on the sofa. But then it also must be... A PI thing because we hear Cheng talking to his associate Nick, who has just broken into um, her apartment. To say, when you're back, we'll open up a bottle of Macallan Scotch. Yes. So yeah, uh, a lot of whiskey. Lots in, of whiskey in, in this, in this uh, episode. Right, absolutely. The one for me came from Twitter. Uh, I'm not going to count and kind of own this Easter egg, <laughs> um, but I'll let someone else take the the, the fall if this is wrong. But apparently you can spot a mention of comic book Patsy Walker supporting character, frenemy, nemesis, uh, Hedy Wolf on the magazine. 
right. um, in one of the scenes where she's uh, showing the, the publicity magazines. So apparently that's there. I tried to slow it down. I can see a H. I can see a W. <laughs> right. But that's about as much like my eyes are not. Um, and I've only watched this in, in the screeners we got. Right. Where it's not 4K quality. So I'm assuming people who've watched this in 4K quality have probably seen the words Heady Wolf. <laughs> um, but let's wait and see, I suppose. If, that, if so, that's either a nice, nice Easter egg, not to, it's Patsy, the, the, the Patsy Walker comic book time. Um, or it's, um, as you said, like similar to the, the psychiatrist, the ringmaster. Yes, possibly. It's kind of a like, hey, we're going to include this character, but it's like, they'll be in it for two seconds later on, mm-hmm. but it's not a big thing. Good stuff. I like that they're keeping up the tradition of having, uh, of having some little references back to other characters that they're not maybe using in the show, but good stuff. My only other note is I really kind of liked, um, you know, it's going back to our, aspects of privacy with Trish Walker that she has obviously put an ultimatum down to, to Maximilian. Um, and she, you know, she's willing to go public with that footage that Malcolm shot. And I really like Jessica's uh, moment where she goes so much for reclaiming your privacy, you know, that this would just open her up to, uh, intrusion from mm-hmm. the media as this sort of game momentum. But it's also that nice riff on saying in a sense that that pressure or or that potential intrusion is something that holds people back from telling their truth because they feel it will be so much more um problematic or intrusive if, if they come out with this. And I, I really like that. And of well, course, absolutely, because that is the whole thing about the Me Too movement. It's that bastards like this get away with it because people don't want their lives intruded upon. And the allowance of that movement was you need to tell your story or else they're going to get away with it forever. So um, so it's nice, again, story written back a year and a half ago, filmed and completed in September. So this is the type of thing they wanted to get out and wanted to talk about. So, uh, yeah, I think it's really well realized in these scenes and that Jessica wouldn't have been willing to sit back and not talk about this and is trying to encourage Trish to do it anyway. So, yeah, yeah really good. Any other notes, gentlemen? Nothing for me. Okay, Uh Let's get on to our final part of the episode. Chris, do you defend Jessica Jones Season 2, Episode 4, a.k.a. God Help the Hobo? I do. Uh, As I said in my last uh, defense, uh, I'm enjoying the pacing change now. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is where, even though we had a slight slowing of Episode 1 and 2 and a Basel exposition piece, now the real case has started. We're We're getting answers, but we're also getting a hell of a lot more questions. We're getting the Jessica we really enjoy. Hell, we're even getting Hellcat. Mm-hmm. Like I'm enjoying this, where they're they're teasing us too. Um, I'm interested to see where they take a lot of the story threads. Um, some of them are going to be very tough. Yeah, I'm hoping, based on what we've seen previously in other shows as well, that they tackle head on. I'm hopeful that this is kind of what's going to where we're going to go. Right. So overall, I really enjoy what we're seeing so far. Um, but I'm going to wait and reserve 100% judgment until we get to the end of the season. 
Of course, of course. Good stuff, yeah. Chris. Uh, John, do you defend Jessica Jones Season 2, Episode 4, a.k.a. God Help the Hobo? I do. I give it four puffs of an inhaler out of five. Um, absolutely. Wow, four of them. That would yeah. be super strong, right? I, basically, yeah. <laughs> T- turn into probably Hulk or something yes. like that. But I really, I really enjoyed this. Um, I, I love Trish and Jessica teaming up. You know, we have that moment in the previous episode where she says uh, she doesn't want a sidekick, but she needs one. One, and I feel as though we're starting to get that. And then plus with um, her going so gung-ho uh, with Nuke's arsenal, but also now with her inhaler that, as, as Chris has said, you know, we're, we're hopefully getting to see um, Hellcat here or the start of her. And I, I think that's really, really good uh, for for the show. I absolutely uh, love the whole commentary around um, the paparazzi. Uh, really interesting. And especially with regards to Trisha's um, relationship or former relationship with the abusive Maximilian. Um, I think that's really interesting. I loved Sally, the wig maker. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Such a great little character to to bring in here. And um, thought she was fantastic. It was also great to see Victoria Cartagena here playing um, Oscar's ex-wife. Uh, nice little flashback to uh, the early start of Gotham TV podcast, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, you know, finding out a bit more about Oscar and the fact that he's softening towards uh, to Jessica here. Malcolm as well, I really enjoyed um, his kind of growth uh, as a character in this season. Really um, just him fidgeting. You know, you just get that sense that he's fidgeting uh, mm-hmm. all the time and that Jessica, by, you know, giving him 20% of the cases, is is really maybe helping him now to to calm calm down and of course we have jerry i am absolutely so invested in uh, her character i think it's really interesting where it's this character is placed you know she's kind of just she's not a goodie she's not a baddie she's just horrendous in a sense but um, what she's going through, where she, the places that she's going to, um, are really, really dark, uh, and it makes you kind of think about her differently. And I think that's a really powerful part of this story uh, for me. So yeah, four puffs of an inhaler out of five for me, with a, a few wigs put on for for extra flourish. <laughs> so Derek. Do you defend this episode of Jessica Jones? Yeah, I'm going to be quick here. Um, definitely defend us. There's been lots that we've talked about throughout this episode so far. Uh, total, a total great episode. We're talking about a proper private investigator show. I like that. That's the type of show I like. This is all about the investigation. Every episode is layering on the steps to finding uh, who they want to find, which is the monster or Meatface. Uh, and we'll see more of that as we go along. I'm really intrigued about this character of Inez. Wasn't expecting to find a nurse alive from uh, from IGH. Uh, so really intrigued about what that's going to deliver for the rest of the episode. She must know something that we don't know about IGH before. So, uh, so that's quite cool that they found this, this character. Uh, so hopefully we'll see a bit more of her in the future episodes. Hopefully Malcolm has got her under protective custody, because uh, that's what jessica told him to do so hopefully he's he's listened to jessica thanks so much for joining us for defenders tv podcast we'll be back next time on next tuesday with episode five aka the octopus yes of course and uh, rounding out our continuation of this season's hey have you talked to your sister today 
Uh, we ask you to call your sister, your friend's sister, your brother's sister, your mother's sisters, any sister that you know. Tell them about this podcast. Tell them that how great we are. And if they ask, what the hell is a Defenders TV podcast? You tell them it's the only place to be for all your Netflix Defenders. Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Iron Fist. Hell, we'll even include the Punisher. Guys, even though he's not a Defender. And hey, just a bit of fun. So go tell your sister that today. Absolutely. And please share the love, share the podcast. Um, head on over to DefendersTVPodcast.com and subscribe to your, your boozy or sobery podcast catcher of choice. <laughs> Rate, leave a review. It's all good. Um, yes, as always, thank you so much for listening. Uh, I'm going grocery shopping in Texas. Um, and when I'm back, I'll let you know what I bought. Uh, and until then, we'll speak with you again next time. Thanks. Bye. 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 Bye.